Hi, welcome to the New Story Church podcast. We hope that this week's message encourages you and brings you closer to Jesus. This picture I call the bread of life. And if uh, this picture was taken when I was on my first mission trip in Mexico City, the year was 1989, the month was November. I was asked to be the doctor of a medical mission team going to Mexico City, and we were to be caring for the people who live within the garbage dumps of Mexico City. Yes, I said garbage dumps. These people are the pepenadores, who are the people who live in garbage. They're born in garbage, they forge for garbage for food, for clothing, for, for articles that they could pull together to build a little shack, the people of the garbage dumps. Well, we had fashioned a bus made into a medical clinic. We drove into the garbage dumps, uh, the, one of the largest dumps in the city. We passed out bread, hence you can see the only clean item in the picture that this little girl is holding in her left hand is a clean piece of bread which we had given her, and we provided medical care. This was one of the first patients that I saw. I grabbed my camera, snapped a shot, set it aside, saw 100 patients or so that day, and it was not until later, weeks after the trip, when I had the film developed, that I realized that I had snapped the shot. I have to be honest with you and tell you that this picture has haunted me for 32 years. It's convicted me. It's changed my view of myself, of God, and of others. I call it the bread of life. And if you look closely at this picture, if you kind of lean in a little bit and look closely at this picture, you should be able to make out three people in this picture. Just, just, just look. Can you identify the three people in this picture? Well, we're going to come back to that question at the end, but you're going to see this picture throughout my message this morning. And when you see it, I want you to ask yourself, where are the three people in the picture and who are the three people of the picture? Well, let's continue. Let's jump into our scripture this morning. It's Matthew 25, beginning with verse 31. And Christ is speaking as follows. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you, since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will say to him, Lord, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or in needing clothes and close you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. 
Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I was in need of clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And those will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. As we consider these words of Jesus, it's so important for us to put it into context. Jesus was speaking to religious people, not unlike those of us today. Maybe you're Christian, maybe you're not, but you probably have some kind of religious context, if you will. For example, even if you're not a Christian, you probably know that most Christians follow the teachings of Christ. You probably also know that most Christians would probably want to attend to the adage of do other, unto others as you would have them do unto you and be good to other people. Kind of basic framework, if you will, of some religious understanding. But it's interesting as we consider any parable or any teaching of Jesus what I find so interesting is that any parable or teaching, it's so simple to understand. Aren't the parables so simple to understand that even a little child, four, five, six years of age, that little child can understand the teachings of Jesus just as we can today. Ah, but then comes the rub. Because although the parables are so easy to understand that a child could understand them, how are they to put into practice? How is it to apply that parable to your life? Ah, that's where the difficulty exists. After all, we can easily understand, love your enemy. That's easy enough. Sure, I love my enemy. But how do you put it into practice? Tomorrow, this week, next week, when you go to work, or walking about your duties in life, and you come across that individual who's angry, who's spiteful, who's deceitful, who even hates you and does everything they can do to harm you, how do you express love? Therein lies the rub. Therein lies the conundrum. The parables, so simple to understand and yet so challenging to put into practice. But that's what we're faced for those of us who desire to follow Christ. We accept his words and we are challenged to change. Now, I, for one, don't like change. I like things the way that they are. And yet, when I read the word of God, I realize that I must change. And that is what we're faced with this morning. We're faced with Christ's teaching, which is easy to understand, yet most challenging to put into practice. So let's try our best this morning as we opened up our hearts to Christ's spirit as he descended upon us this morning as we were singing in worship. So let us open our minds to Christ's teaching that we might receive what he would say to us that we might be changed to be more like Jesus. And so 
my first point. Christ challenges us to have vision. Vision is seeing what others don't see. Seeing what others don't see. We need to see the needs of the needy. We need to see those that are hungry. We need to see those that are thirsty. We need to see those that are sick or a stranger or imprisoned. The first step on the road to change is always vision, seeing what others don't see. Let me show you what I saw when I went to the garbage dumps of Mexico City on that first mission trip. I saw a girl in a yellow shirt who really, for me, epitomized love and kindness and innocence. The girls of the garbage dumps of Mexico City are violated by 11, 12, or 13 years of age. I saw a man in despair who had no hope, living in garbage, working in garbage, without hope, helpless and hopeless, in total despair. And in the midst of this despair, and in the midst of this darkness, I saw a little church, a little shanty, if you will, where some Christians who lived within the garbage dump foraged and found some wood, and they found some corrugated metal, and they, some tar paper, and they patched it together into a church, a place where they could worship. You could see them gathered around the church and praying over that facility. Now, they don't have a church like we have this morning with padded seats and air-conditioned environment with beautiful worship team leading us into the throne of grace. But they had the presence of God where God would descend and be with them as he's with us this morning. And I saw the little girl that I showed you before. As I... Uh, shared with her uh, medical care and provided that to her. That is what I saw. Now let me share with you a story of what helped me to understand what it means to have vision, seeing what others don't see. It was the early days, as I said, it was 1980, 89, and it was the first mission trip that I was on. Well, in the early days of Operation Serve, there were other teams that were going, ministering to the Pepinadores, and on one of the teams, there was a man who was a lawyer, and he was a rather wealthy lawyer. And we had determined, the leaders of Operation Serve had determined that it would be so helpful if we could get clean water to the people living in the garbage dumps. Because we know as physicians, and as any healthcare worker would know, it's so important to have clean water to prevent the spread of disease so that you can either wash your food in clean water, wash your hands before eating, and drink clean water, which prevents parasites and sickness inside your gut. So we were ecstatic. When this lawyer came forward and said, I feel convicted of God to, to fund a pipeline of clean water, bringing it in from the outside to the people of the garbage dumps of Mexico City, that they might have clean water. And we were excited. We were so excited that the leaders of Operation Serve went to the governmental official, who was the uh, governmental official over this district. We said, sir, good news. We have an individual who's willing to fund water and bring it from outside the garbage dumps into the garbage dumps so that people in the garbage dumps would have clean water to drink, to wash their hands, their food. 
He looked at us rather puzzled. He said, that's odd. There's nobody living in the garbage dumps in Mexico City. Sir, sir, you don't understand. There are hundreds of people. We've seen them. We've touched them. We've talked to them. They're living in garbage. They're living in squalor. No. No, he said. There are no people living in the garbage dumps in Mexico City. Sir, sir, how can you not see it? They exist. Come with us. We will show you the people in the garbage dumps in Mexico City. He said, here's my desk. And on my desk is this stack of papers. And he tapped it. He said, on this stack of papers are the tax rolls of every single individual in my district. You tell me, do you see their names written on the tax rolls upon my desk? Sir, you don't understand. These people are living in garbage. They don't have money to pay taxes. They don't have money to exist. They're eating garbage, wearing garbage, foraging through garbage for, a, for any type of existence. To which he thought for a moment, and then he held up his finger. And he said, no, no, no. You do not understand. If they are not on my tax rolls, they do not exist. As a matter of fact, those phantoms that you saw in the garbage dumps are not people. They're ghosts. They do not exist. It was at that moment where I realized the first powerful point of Matthew 25 is that we must embrace the idea to have vision, to see what others don't see, or to see others who others won't see, or better yet, to see people who others refuse to see, to have vision, to see what others won't see. And as I hear that, Oh, new story. I, I, I'm convicted. I'm convicted. You, you know why I'm convicted? I'm convicted because I, like you, at times have walked my life refusing to see others. There are times where I was just as that governmental official, and I turned my head, and I chose not to see the individual who was in need. Need food. Need clothing. The stranger. The one who is imprisoned. I, too, turned my head. I'm ashamed, but it's true. We've all experienced that. So let the Spirit of God challenge us to be a people at New Story who would say, we choose to have vision. We choose to see who others don't see. But we will not stop there. We will then follow Christ's teaching and be challenged by the second point, And that is to have engagement. Doing what others won't do. See, it's not just enough to see what others don't see. We need to have engagement and do what others won't do. You may not remember this, but five, six weeks ago or so, I shared a new story. We were going through Ephesians, and I was closing out the series, sharing on the fifth chapter of Ephesians. And I made a statement in that message that went something like this. Love is an action. Love is an action. Love is a verb. It's not a noun. It's a verb. It requires action. You see, I can't just say to Daryl, I love you. It's insufficient. I need to show my love to Daryl by what I do and how I act and by the decisions that I make. Saying the words means nothing. It's the action that meets the purpose of the words in our relationship. 
And so it is as we follow Christ. We are called to action. We are called to engagement. We are called to doing what Christ tells us to do. See, that's the difference between the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. The sheep did the will of the Father. The goats did not. Now let me be quick to clarify. I am not saying that our works produce our salvation. We know that's contrary to the scripture. It's by faith that we are saved. But if we are saved and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, then we are compelled to move in action. As James puts it, faith without works is dead. We will not earn our salvation by works. We will produce good works that reflect our salvation and belief in Christ. And then, at that point, as we minister to those who are in need, the disenfranchised, the marginalized, the social outcasts, we are caring for Christ himself. In the 40th verse, Jesus states that the king will reply, truly, I tell you, what you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The joy of ministering to Christ through others. Let me share with you another story in reference to Operation Serve to help drive this point home, if you will. As I shared, it was 1989 and I was on my first trip. Well, right around that time, there was a group of people from Western New York who also traveled to Mexico City to minister to the Pepe Nadores. But you see, those people who traveled from Western New York to go to minister to the Pepe Nadores, when they came back to Western New York, they did something that I didn't do. What did they do? They said, if we were able to do this in Mexico City, could we do this in our own community? And how would that look? It was Christmas Eve, 1990, Christmas Eve. A group of them were together. One said, I got some blankets. Another said, I could make some sandwiches. Another said, I got some spare coats. They looked outside and it was a cold and snowy Christmas Eve, 1990, here in Buffalo, New York. They packed up their car, they drove to the inner city of Buffalo, they started handing out blankets, and sandwiches and coats to the people living on the streets of Buffalo, New York, and Hearts for the Homeless was born. That's how it started. Hearts for the Homeless then purchased a mobile vehicle, which you see before you. This mobile home, they drove down into the city, and they passed out sandwiches and blankets and shoes and clean underwear to those living on the streets of Buffalo, New York. But they didn't stop there. They said, how could we reach more people? So they built a thrift store. And they stocked that thrift store with clothing and household goods. If you could show their, their, their showroom of that store that they have, it's filled with clothing and household goods. But they said, ah, how can we get more clothing? How can we get more goods? How can we minister to more people? So they said, I know, we'll find hearts clothing bins, and you've seen these red bins speckled throughout our community, hundreds of them in western New York, receiving clothing donations from people like you and me, and then using this clothing to stock their storeroom so that they might be able to minister to people who are in need. All because some people said, hey, what can I do to minister in my community? 
But it doesn't stop there. They have plans now to build the Hearts for the Homeless uh, Harvest Pantry and Cafe. This is a depiction of what they're presently in the process of building. It's a place where people from the community can come together and share fellowship and community together, receiving food from the food pantry and sharing community. Why? Because they have vision, seeing what others don't see. They have engagement doing what others won't do. But ah, you don't have to just get involved with Hearts for the Homeless. You could be involved with Kenton Closet. There's a bin right out of our doors and down left, left, left down the hallway. And I know many of you have participated in this before, bringing clothing so that it could be used for those in need. Or how about those of us in our, in our congregation who have participated in Eight Days of Hope? Let's give it up for those people who, who, who did that. People who said, we choose to see what others don't see. We choose to engage and do what others won't do. All opportunities to share Christ's love. But as Christ often does, he just doesn't stop there. Because the teachings of Christ push, push, push. And that brings us to our third point, which is probably the most difficult for us to embrace. And that is that Christ challenges us to have commitment, believing what others don't believe. It's not enough just to have vision and see what others don't see. It's not enough just to have action or engagement and to do what others won't do. It's of critical importance to have commitment, to believe what others won't believe. As we consider that, Christ starts these verses at verse 31 with this statement. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Let's just pause for a second. If you're watching via the internet or if you're here in the auditorium, let's ask a question. Who is the Son of Man? Type it in the chat if you're online. If you're here in the auditorium, yell it out. Who's the Son of Man? Jesus. Jesus is the Son of Man. Next question. Why is Jesus named the Son of Man? Well, the reason is because Jesus was part of the Godhead. Over 2,000 years ago, he came to earth in the form of a baby, grew up as a man, fully human, dying upon the cross, the death of the condemned placed in a tomb and buried, resurrected and now sits at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the only one who is fully divine, fully God, yet fully man. Only one in eternity, fully God and fully man. That's why he has the title of Son of Man. He led a sinless life taking on human form, yet remaining without sin and holy. Fully identifiable to humans, yet fully God. Hard for us to wrap our minds around. But let me push it a little farther. What is the role of the Son of Man? The Son of Man in Jesus, we know why he's the Son of Man, but what is his role? Simply put, the role of the Son of Man is to act as judge on the final judgment day. That's really what Matthew 25 is all about. It's the judge separating the sheep 
from the goats. The sheep on his right, entering into paradise with God for eternity. The goats on his left, being destined to an eternity apart from Christ, apart from God, in despair and torment and hell. That is what the judgment is really all about. Some will be saved and some will be not. Now I understand, brothers and sisters, I understand that this is difficult for our American minds to wrap around. We are an independent people. We are self-righteous people. We are people who feel that we are in control of our own destiny and to some great extent we are. However, just because there's a heaven doesn't mean that everybody's getting there. The pervasive thought in our society is that, yeah, there might be an afterlife after death, and it's probably a good place. Many believe that there isn't an afterlife, but if there is, it's all okay, and we're all going to get there eventually. And although that's a wonderful thought, and although that tickles my ears with a certain amount of joy, in the depths of my soul, I know that is not true. Scriptures do not support that. The reality is such that there will be a judgment and there will be a separation of the sheep and the goats. And the sheep will hear those words as told in the verse 34. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And so... This morning, we're left with a decision. It's a very simple decision. Do we desire to identify ourselves with a sheep, or do we de desire to identify ourselves with the goats? And if we desire to identify ourselves with the sheep, what will we choose? Will we choose to have vision, seeing what others won't see? Will we choose to have engagement and do what others won't do? And we will choose to have commitment, believing what others won't believe. The choice is ours. The destiny is ours. Eternity lays before us. It is our decision to make. With that being said, I'd like to go back to the initial question that I asked. Do you remember what that is? The initial question that I asked you was, who are the three people in the picture? Do you remember the picture of the little girl with the piece of bread? You, you saw it earlier. As a matter of fact, let's take a look at that picture again. The picture of the little girl. And ask yourself the question, now who are the three people? Who are the three people? Well, well first, I think it's rather obvious, the little girl. And you can see the dirty little hands that she has from living in garbage. And you can see the only clean item that she's holding in her left hand is a clean piece of bread. You can see her eyes as they questioningly look at you, wondering why is she living in garbage and why is she destined to a future in garbage. If you look closely, you can almost see in the sunlight as you look upon her hair, the lice dancing in her hair. The pepinadores the people of the dumps. See, the first person we see in the picture is the little girl. But it's not just the little girl. This little girl represents, oh, so many more. You will see someone tomorrow, this week, this month, this year. You will see someone who is in need, in need of food, in need of drink, 
in need of clothes, who are sick, or who are a stranger. You will see someone who is in prison. Oh, maybe not someone who is imprisoned by the judicial system of our country, but you will see somebody who is in prison. It may be a prison of addiction. It may be a prison of anger. It may be a prison of mental illness. It may be a prison of abuse. We have all seen them, and you will see them. And the question is, what will be your response as you see that little girl or as you see that person? But there's a second person in this picture. Can you see who the second person is? I'll give you a hint. The second person is represented by the clean piece of bread in the little girl's left hand. Do you see that person now? That person's Jesus. He is the bread of life. He is the bread of life broken for you and for me and for this little girl. But you see, if you look closer, you can see that Jesus isn't just the bread. No, you see, Jesus is the little girl herself. Why? Because Jesus says that when you minister to those who are in need, he says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was without clothes. I was a stranger. I was sick. I was in prison. And you ministered to me. See, when we minister to people in need, it is if we are ministering to Jesus himself. Jesus takes the form of many people. Jesus could be the little girl, the little pepinadores in the garbage dumps. Jesus could be the little girl in the yellow shirt that I showed you earlier on. Or Jesus could be a man in despair. Jesus could be a man living on the streets of Buffalo. Jesus could be this man who's imprisoned. How will you respond? How will you act? What choice will you make? Or Jesus could also be the little girl that I started off showing you. So now we've seen two people. We've seen the people who we are ministering to and we see Jesus in the picture. But now comes the conundrum. Who is the first individual in this picture? You gotta look close. You, gotta, you might have to lean in, squint your eyes. Can you see the third person in the picture? Do you know who that third person is? I'll tell you. The third person in the picture, it's Zach. It's Lindsay. It's Aaron. It's Tristan, it's Stephen, it's Kim, it's Scott, it's Nick, it's Daryl, it's you, and it's me. We are the third person of the picture. Why? Because Christ's parables draw us in, draw us into the story, and we have a choice to make. There's an individual in need, and we have the ability to meet that need. Will we choose to meet that need and minister unto Christ, or will we choose to refuse to see? and walk away. Christ always leaves us with a decision. Always easy to understand, always difficult to accomplish. And so, I leave you with this thought. 
as the band joins us on the stage. And as I close from this teaching, I would ask you to look at this little girl and to ask the question, will you have vision to see what others don't see? Will you have engagement to do what others won't do? And will you have commitment to believe what others won't believe? The decision is yours and the decision is mine. Why? Because we are the third person in the picture. Let's pray. Lord God, we desperately need you, O God. We are confronted with our humanity, with, our, with often our self-centeredness, self-focus, and self-reliance and independence. And yet, we need you, O oh God. We need you to infuse us with your love that we might show love to others. To have a willingness to give to others as you gave to us. To have a willingness to serve others as you have served us countless times. To have a willingness to be changed, O oh God, by your Spirit. It is never comfortable to have the Holy Spirit work upon our hearts. But it's always good, Lord, because it always brings about something better. And so I pray, O oh God, that you would not make it easy, but I pray that you would make it good. That we might be changed. That we might choose to follow. That we might choose to obey. And that we, we might choose to grow closer to Jesus. To those of us this morning, O oh God, who have never made a commitment to follow you, I pray, O oh God, that they would walk from death unto life, from darkness to light, as they believe in you this morning, trusting in you and your plan for their life. We commit our way to you. We commit our decision to you. And we commit our future to you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.